0: This is in focus i'm john lieberman joined by two very special guests today first we have stefan Oderfer, the founder and managing director of 42 it's a really neat munich-based startup that actually uses eye tracking technology and ai so that people can interact with computers with their eyes instead of their hands so we'll get to stefan in just a second we also have our own david judge Vice President of SAP Intelligent Enterprise Solutions. He's going to talk to us about machine learning and and AI and how those two put together can can help businesses. So let's jump right in, guys. Uh, Stefan, can you tell me first a little bit about 42? What is this idea of gaze control?
1: Sure. Thank you. So basically what we're doing for more than 50 years now is to be using the mouse to control our devices, right? If this is a mouse, external mouse, or like I do have here, which is a more ergonomic version of the mouse or the touchpad, but it didn't really change for the last 50 years. And by the way, the keyboard is more than 200 years old. So actually today's latest technology, we're controlling and operating with a rather outdated uh, technology. And that's why we use uh, eye tracking for controlling a computer. Because eye tracking, for the first time in history, it allows you to do two things. it controlling a computer and it unders- we can use a understanding what the user actually wants to predict his intention. And by this, we can support him in a proactive way. So, for example, it scrolls automatically while you're reading a text, or if you're in a sub-environment, you, you look at a form input field, and it directly selects this field so you don't need to hand, uh, leave your hands from the keyboard to the mouse and back to just click a field.
0: That is really, really interesting. And you know, we're talking about different ways to kind of get back to our daily life. I don't want to use the word normal, but our, our daily life. So give me some examples, because I also know you were a part of the SAP IO Foundry and that SAP is a customer. Give us some, some examples of, of how we're going to be able to hopefully get back to uh, some semblance of normal.
1: Sure. So, right, we've been part of the uh, summer batch in 2018 in, in, the, in the Berlin uh, foundry of uh, SUB.IO. And in, in, during this time, we made contact to colleagues of yours, uh, for example, to the shop floor, uh, where it's about to basically use your hands for the actual work that you're doing so you're doing a quality assurance you're doing assembly etc and what you do there even more and more is that you confirm steps that you look up things because if you reduce the number of parts that uh, or individualized parts then you you need to interact with your device more often and when you can have your hands for the actual task that you do and you don't need to use your hands to to just touch a, and confirm a button or something. Um, that's obviously more efficient. And, and during Corona times, it's also more healthy. So because if you have different shifts of workers and you would always need to um, sterilize the touch screen. So to make sure that you don't transmit germs on this touch screen. And it's not only on, on the shop floor. It's also obviously in other environments such as health environments where you have a higher risk of infection as more infected people are in this in in these areas. So controlling a touchscreen device with your gaze to select where you, or what element you want to interact with, and using a voice like we do right now is absolutely natural. And therefore, we have a very steep learning curve and an acceptance rate by the users because they really like it because it it feels natural. And even my kids with with five and seven year old they do eye tracking and it's it's just fun.
0: Yeah, and I know, David, you're in New York. Imagine if you could just use, you know, gaze control to get on the subway instead of having to swipe your card or, or touch your card, you know, how much that would help with safety and health and, and getting us back to work quicker.
2: Yeah, I think the fascinating thing about many of the technologies, even for example, with what 42 is doing, Uh, we can actually lower the friction of people's interactions with these devices or with these systems while at the same time making them safer and faster. So I think one of the fascinating things about the present situation that we find ourselves in right now is is that we're in some ways uh, speeding up our step into some of these technologies and into uh, new ways of interacting either with each other or with buildings or with other systems because of the need that the crisis has caused. So I, I would yes, I would love to be able to get onto the subway right now, first of all, but I would also love to not have to have to swipe a card.
0: Yeah, but David, you bring up a really good point, which is, you know, we hear the buzzwords, AI, machine learning, blockchain, companies are prototyping these things, but they're really not, in terms of mainstream adoption, it's really not there yet. So is this going to be COVID-19 and, and this pandemic, is this going to be what kind of, pushes these technologies into the mainstream?
2: Uh, For some of them, I think that it will. Uh, But I think there's a a huge push right now towards uh, resilience, which seems to be the topic of the day, either within the massive disruptions within supply chains or disruptions in the way and how we're working. I mean, just look, we're, we're talking through video conference right now, and there's a little algorithm running around me, which is... Uh, replacing my kid's playroom, which you can't see right now, with a background. So there's 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 lots of interesting uh, sort of uh, applications of these technologies, which are now being thought of in a new way uh, with maybe a bit more urgency. So no longer is it really about, um, you know, sort of around the edges of maybe I want to improve just a little bit with the experience. Now I have to rethink my entire customer experience because I can no longer service them in the same way as I was. So, you know, just take, for example, um, a sporting venue, uh, they're closed for business right now. And when they open, we're going to need to find new ways, uh, uh for people to enjoy such a public experience and to do so, we're going to have to have either new, uh, basically new procedures. Sure. But we're also going to need to have new, uh, sensors, new ways of tracking people's movements throughout that, that experience, which many companies wanted to do before anyway. But now we have this sort of compelling event of to even open up a stadium, we need to rethink how we interact with that environment and thus the technology that supports that interaction.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And Stefan, let me bring you back in. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how intelligent technologies can kind of help society move from crisis to recovery. So, for example, you know, people's health data, virus test results. Um, are these things going to be stored in the blockchain? What are you hearing from customers and people that you interact with?
1: Well, from from our customers, uh, first of all, they are looking to, uh, you know, coming back from still in home office, but coming back more and more. They need to make sure that uh, they are safe and in, uh, in the environments they're working on. And this technology, I agree with David, so the this technology helps and I I'm pretty sure that there will be more uh, budgets going into these areas, because uh, like the budget that we have seen for years, for the next 10 years, going to be squeezed down in digitization, especially in, in these companies that have seen that they're not at the pace that other companies are and and, and it's uh, they need to do so basically. So um, regarding this data and, and, and the health issues, um, well, I think, most of these, this data, and for example, we are using an eye tracking, we are using a lot of data and that's uh, that's private data. So um, that is, it's very important that you keep this data in control of the user. I mean, we are in a, in European Union, we have a, uh, even a different uh, uh, view on, on privacy here, uh, a more severe view on privacy. So for us, this is something that we basically increased by design already in in the in the architectural release of the software, from customer side, I would say um, they are actually the the data security. So the people that are that think about this and this is a daily job, they know how how important this is. And I think it needs to be transported this message to more people how important it is, and uh, especially the health data because coming back to my kids, the health data of me is out there; it's also out there for them because uh, I it's in my genes and
0: in their genes. So it's important for health data, definitely, yes. Absolutely, David, I mean, Stefan brought it up, but let me ask you, I mean, we know we're gonna be collecting much more data now, particularly health data. We also know that many people have privacy concerns. So David, in your opinion, where are these two going to kind of converge? What are you hearing people talk about?
2: Yeah, it's, a, it's on everybody's mind because I think that what most of the public health experts have said is, is that to reasonably return to, to normal, um, a technique called contact tracing will need to be put in place, which means we know where I've been, who I've interacted with, the status of our infection, whether we've had it or not. And so some of that data is necessarily very specific, very personal, and s- really subject to possible abuse. There's been some initiatives where we can take intermediaries out of the way. So if we can trust a system uh, to be able to exchange information with a certain level of privacy, then it means that we can, we'll have greater adoption, which means we'll have a better chance at having contact tracing actually work. So particularly in, uh, let's say, liberalized governments, which we all are sort of blessed to live in, um, this is going to be necessary to get people to actually do these activities. So blockchain is certainly one way of handling this. But so are fairly traditional data techniques where we don't have it open to everyone and we're being really careful with cybersecurity and we're being really careful with who has access to what, Um, which thankfully we've had some regulatory frameworks such as is happening in Europe, uh, but also uh, with HIPAA in the United States. So it's going to be a a tough challenge to unwind.
0: So let me ask you each one final question, and it's going to be the same one. Uh, Stefan, I want to start with you. How quickly do you think, actually, I'm going to ask you each a different question, but Stefan, how quickly do you think that eye-tracking technology is going to become the norm across the world? Well,
1: there are two views. The one thing is uh, the view of a founder and the hope of a founder, obviously, and we're doing this now for six years. And we're already seeing out there notebooks, several notebooks, uh, uh, screens with built-in eye-tracking. And for example, it. Or the latest HGUIF Pro, so HR and VR headsets have eye tracking integrated. So it's here to stay, and it's actually also on your technology radar. It's it's rated on the topmost level eye tracking to be integrated right now, and and seeing how what you can do with this technology. So, however, it's a it's a question of the mass market, right? So either um, if you go to to Amazon and and it's like in every notebook, it comes with a built-in camera, like. Think of the Logitech cameras, the balls that you put on your monitors like 15 years ago. Now every device has one or even more cameras. That's gonna be the same with tracking because the base technology is, is standard uh, hardware. So I would say within the next two to three years, we, see, we will see more and more of these devices being integrated.
0: And David, finally, when you think of the next year, the next 12 months, What do you think we're going to see, bottom line, in terms of machine learning and AI usage?
2: I think we'll see adoption that will help uh, people do do either one of two things, probably both of these two things. First, it's going to be used to help make the transition from existing business models to future business models. We'll have to think about how we run businesses, and particularly just think alone of the disruption that's happened within things like call and contact centers where the wait times for some very large companies are now in the hours because they've had major disruptions from the people that would normally sit very close together and answer those phone calls. So finding ways to do that in a more intelligent way is going to be, I think, a huge focus. And the number two is uh, from the bottom up uh, towards that process, using data uh, that businesses already have in their, on their operations side to make more intelligent decisions more quickly. So at an analysis end of this, uh, and then one where we're actually trying to automate Um, and sort of uh, speed the execution of some human-driven tasks. Both of those two things, you're just going to throw gas in the fire with both of them.
0: Everyone's going to be trying to do this. Interesting times for sure. Stefan, best of luck to you. Stay safe. David, thank you very much for your insights. Stay safe. And uh, we'll talk to you guys again soon. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you.